0: Does talking about your money make you cringe are you tired of fighting about finances do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness then you are in the right place welcome to breaking money silence a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money your host kathleen burns kingsbury is doing what she does best as a young girl She was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open.
1: Today, I am joined by Crystal Arnold. She's the founder of Money Morphosis and the Money Wise Women podcast. After graduating from Southern Oregon University in 2007 with a degree in international economics, she has designed and facilitated workshops, community events, and discussion panels about money. I recently met Crystal, when I did her podcast. And so I decided to invite her to do the Breaking Money Silence podcast because she's inspired thousands of people to have a healthier relationship with money. And her courses serve to financially empower individuals. So obviously I liked what Crystal was up to and knew she was a Breaking Money Silence revolutionary. Uh, she's written uh, works in journals, magazines, and a book called Reinhabiting the Village. She is currently the Director of Education at the post Growth. Institute and on the Economic Guild of of the Village Lab. She lives in Oregon with her husband and two children. I am very excited to be joined today by Crystal Arnold, and she has a great myth that we're going to bust wide open. That myth is uh, people are rational consumers. So Crystal, tell me a little bit about what motivated you to pick this myth to bust open today. Thank you,
2: Kathleen. So excited to join you. So I am an economist and this myth is foundational to economics and understanding how, uh, consumers behave. And so I picked this because I think it's so important to, uh, reimagine economics and really look at how people do behave. And it's, you know, it, what, The myth of the rational consumer is, is that we are like little machines that calculate cost and benefit for every financial decision we're going to make, and that our preferences remain fixed over time and don't change, and uh, so I I chose this because I think it is so important to understand what does motivate us as individuals and um, as we interact in the marketplace and and really come to a more empowered place with that.
1: So it's interesting, you know, having a finance under degree, uh, undergraduate degree and understanding a little bit about the difference between um, the different assumptions in economics. You know, I know where you're coming from, but for the folks who are listening in, you know, without getting too in the weeds about uh, the theory of rational consumers, is there a, a quick kind of high level um, explanation you can provide us just to give us context for then why you think it's a myth?
2: Right. So um, microeconomics is the study of how individuals behave. And um, and so they look at cost and, and benefits and, and have all these graphs and charts about basically uh, being able to predict and identify how how masses of people will behave in the marketplace. And so a, a lot of it is super outdated, you know, it was developed in the turn of the century around the 1900s, early 1900s, and, and mechanical in nature that people um, are, are purely accounting machines. And uh, as, as we both know from our work, um, you know, working with women um, in financial coaching and workshops that we are, um, if anything, rational consumers. We are actually much more driven by emotions, by peer pressure, by uh, behavioral influences. So there's a whole... um, area of study now that's emerging called behavioral economics, which really does look at more of the nuances of people's choices and their goals and the kinds of things that Im- influence these choices. And so I'm sure all the listeners can remember a time when they made an economic choice or purchased something and did not calculate the, the cost and benefit or or the details of, of that expense uh, at the time.
1: Yeah, it's interesting when you say that I'm smiling because I'm thinking to myself, you know, there are some people out there that may still do that, but it's not necessarily the majority of people when it comes to finance. And I feel like a lot of times what ends up happening are individuals or couples or families feel bad that they're emotional about money and make these emotional decisions and aren't purely rational. And that somehow there's some sort of shame attached to uh, not always being a rational consumer. And do you find the same thing or, or maybe your experience is a little bit different?
2: I absolutely agree. I feel like shame and guilt and fear are the three main uh, things that keep us from openly expressing about money with our loved ones, which is so crucial to be able to begin to speak up and ask questions and and really. Uh, look into our own beliefs and how those influence our behaviors. Because as as we've seen, mainstream marketing has really been able to influence people's behaviors from getting people to smoke cigarettes, even though they know they're bad for them, and, and a variety of different ways where we are basically told that we are not good enough and so that we must consume in order to um, have the status and and the sense of well-being that we desire. And really, uh, it's it's kind of an empty um, motivation. And when people align their deep-held values with their financial behavior, then there's like a lot more satisfaction and joy.
1: So before we get into kind of looking at how this myth gets in the way which we've talked about a little bit at this point is is there any way in which this this myth because i feel like every myth has a little ounce of truth in it it could be helpful for somebody who's listening in today that oh i'm a rational consumer
2: I think there is. There is a way in which having greater awareness about our financial numbers and really looking at our cash flow throughout the month, you know, doing our bookkeeping, looking at our investments, how they're performing and, and really getting real about the numbers satisfies our rational mind and the, the numbers and the math is really uh, quite simple. A lot of people say they're not good at numbers. And I just encourage people to really be more mindful about the actual financial flow in their life. And so in that sense, we can be rational consumers. We can look at a budget. We can check prices and compare and negotiate and really be better informed with uh, information, which we can then uh, create meaning from.
1: So there's part of it that makes sense, that actually is helpful and useful, um, but there's part of it that gets in the way, and that's where the myth comes from. And that's where if someone's listening in and saying, well, I believe that I'm a rational consumer, but maybe I'm not acting that way, what are the ways in which you see, Crystal, in your work, uh, this myth getting in the way of people's financial health or well-being?
2: So this myth gets in the way as people are really, uh, Not, not becoming self aware. They are acting, many people, for the majority of our daily actions, 90% of it is driven by the subconscious mind. And this means the beliefs and the subconscious beliefs that were formed usually in childhood from experiences that we had or messages we got about money are keeping us, say, at a certain income level. They are, you know, producing compulsive Behaviors like excessive spending, and they are driving a lot of our actions, and so I see that this really gets in the way because we, when we look beneath the surface of the rational, calculating mind, we find these uh, deeper currents of belief that influence our behavior. And so it really gets in the way because it's it's not rational and it's one of the number one causes of divorce and fights within couples is is money. And so the more we can have curiosity and and look more deeply into the behaviors of loved ones and family members and really have more open conversations that aren't just about the numbers then we can develop greater compassion for other people, for ourselves, and really make more empowered decisions that do look for what are my uh, biggest values, what is motivating me. And I find that that improves relationships, it improves our own uh, wealth and ability to uh, create financial flow in our
1: lives. Well, and the way you're talking about it, the word that pops up for me is compassion. That in some ways, you're more compassionate to yourself with your relationship with money. You're more compassionate to people in your life, whether that's your romantic partner, your aging parent, your child, uh, maybe even your boss, dare I say, being compassionate to your boss, uh, when you start to factor in the the complex relationship we have with money. And so what I'm curious about is you've mentioned maybe two times uh, so far that somehow If we look at our value system, that that ultimately can help us uh, live wealthier lives. Um, First of all, is that what you said? And second of all, can you give me an example of how that might play out?
2: Sure. This is has really been at the heart of my work um, in the last five years or so. Um, I developed something called the True Wealth Template from working with hundreds of women doing these workshops around relationship with money. I said, you know, it's great to know the, the basics of bookkeeping and the numbers part of it. But what is it that really creates uh, wealth and well-being for people? And so I identified four areas. Of course, we have financial wealth, and then we also have inner wealth, relational and environmental. And so that is a way to assess your values and both your assets and liabilities in each of those categories, uh, the inner wealth being our own gifts and skills, emotional intelligence, um, and, and really uh, then looking at the relational wealth of all the relationships that we have um, and how those contribute to our sense of well-being. And finally, our environmental wealth, which is not only the air and land and water, but our emotional environment, our work environment, our home environment, and really being able to better uh, align our actions. You know, are we willing to invest in a, a personal development course? It may take financial resources, but really pay off to develop our relational and inner wealth. So I see that people can really map their values uh, through this template and make more satisfying choices. And if people are interested, I do have a a totally free five-day challenge with video training, um, and it's at discoveryourtruewealth.com.
1: We'll definitely put that in the podcast description so people can take advantage of that. Um, And I'm glad I asked the question, Crystal, because you and I are aligned in a lot of different areas. And, you know, when I tend to use the word wealthier life or richer life, I'm talking about a very holistic view of all these different aspects. And you've done a nice job as somebody uh, who has uh, the mind of an economist uh, has done and putting it into different categories in a template so I encourage people definitely to check that out. Now if somebody is interested in saying okay how do I what you know how do I start looking at my relationship with money differently or how do I start engaging in a conversation with people in my life That isn't just about the dollars and cents. What tips would you provide listeners who say, you know what? I identify this. This is a myth and I don't want to live uh, this way anymore. What steps can they take?
2: Yeah. So there's a few steps I really recommend. Uh, first off, you know, pause before you make any big decisions or even try it when you're making small purchases, you know, really to sleep on something, to, to have that spaciousness and really tune in to not only what your mind calculates, but also how your gut feels and how your heart feels when you're making a money decision. Secondly, uh, talk more openly about money and it may feel awkward at first and you can start the conversation even by saying, this is a little awkward for me to bring up, but I'd really like to talk about money with you, whether it's a parent, uh, a child or a, uh, a spouse or loved one. So just uh, get get vulnerable yourself and, and uh, really be willing to talk about things uh, about money. <clears throat> and the third piece of advice is to really uh, take a look at your money history and some questions which you could spend some time journaling on and then discussing with a partner would be things like, uh, what were my mother and father's beliefs about money and how am I following in their footsteps or rebelling against that? Uh, What is a financial trauma that I've experienced that and how has that influenced my relationship with money? And a final question could be something about one of your biggest financial fears and, and just really explore your own inner landscape and unique relationship with money.
1: Wouldn't it be neat if we taught this in school? Like, as part of a financial literacy class, that not only it was like, here's the math, but here's how you develop a relationship with money. If, if young people were exploring this, I just think the we wouldn't have the financial literacy crisis that we have. We wouldn't maybe need uh, a financial literacy month like April is, you know, w- what are your thoughts about teaching this at a younger age than we do?
2: That is absolutely crucial for a more financially empowered uh, population. And I think absolutely it should be can- begin in elementary school and all the way through high school. I got all the way through my international economics bachelor's in science degree with uh, no personal finance course. I still did not know how to do my basic bookkeeping and had to take a course after graduating because that was a huge missing piece. And too often we just, uh, you know, put our students into debt at age 18, they get credit cards and student loans. And so there's an incredible amount of shame and suffering from nearly everyone I've talked to from any economic uh, situation and level of financial wealth that there is suffering because of this lack of uh, information and education.
1: Yeah, the lack of insight, or it, it's it's almost in the broader context. I think of emotional intelligence of like, okay, there's emotional intelligence. What am I feeling? How am I impacting the people around me? How can I communicate about that? And then underneath that is you know emotional intelligence around money um, would be such a great topic um, for. Uh, grade schools to teach. I know There's a big battle ahead in terms of getting that into the curriculum, but it is something that, um, you know, sparked in my head when you were talking and it's not surprising to me, Crystal, that you could be such an educated person in the world of finance and not have that, uh, training, that basic training, or really being able to understand what your money mindset is. When I go off and speak to financial advisors and related professionals, one of the things that I often ask is how many of you have heard of a money mindset, which obviously you know this, but, uh, for listeners who are new to the program, you know, your automatic thoughts and beliefs about money. And it's amazing, the accomplished advisors in the room, and usually it's one or two who have heard of what a money mindset is and and what our relationship with money is beyond um, the dollars and cents, even though they live it every day. So your tips of advice are are, are wonderful. Um, I'm wondering, when you look at your myth, you know, people are rational consumers. If we were to reframe that into something that is closer to reality, how might you reframe that?
2: Hmm. Reframing this myth would look like people are holistic consumers engaged in a sacred marketplace. I really like to reframe what the economy is. Ultimately, this is a system of exchange and money is an agreement by which we can care for one another. And our modern economy has become so abstracted from that in in the way it extracts uh, value from our natural environment, from our societies, and, and consolidates that in the hands of fewer and fewer corporations. And so to really reclaim that we are uh, kind of this active, engaged consumer citizen and and not be so, so driven um, in the marketplace by just consuming that we have each one of us a lot to contribute. And I'll, I'll briefly say this is um, an exciting project I'm working on with the Post Growth Institute, which you can see at postgrowth.org. And it's called the Offers and Needs Marketplace. And it's just an incredible 90-minute facilitated in-person community networking events, uh, which we're training facilitators in, and, and I'm co-authoring a handbook about it, which is basically like speed dating almost, um, where people are sitting in small groups at tables and sharing their offers and needs. And I tell you, uh, it's just been uh, really a big breakthrough for participants to be able to engage in this marketplace. And oh, we really like face to face interactions and, and being able to speak up and speak our needs and try out, uh, as, as an entrepreneur, be able to try out our pitch and get people's feedback in this, in this way that's not intimidating. It's more nurturing and feminine and, So I think in, in redefining the myth of the rational consumer, we are also redefining the ecosystem and, and this more sacred marketplace.
1: Awesome. So postgrowthinstitute.com is where we would find out more information.
2: That's postgrowth.org and
1: then offersandneeds.com. That was a great example of not actively listening, Kristen, but I got that so wrong. (laughs) I'm a work in progress like everybody else is. So I want uh, to just give you a chance to tell our listeners a little bit about the Money Wise Women podcast, another way in which they can connect with you, hear your thoughts, and and continue to learn from your expertise.
2: Yes. Uh, So I host a show called Money Wise Women, which you can find on iTunes and on my website, Money hyphen morphosis, m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s dot com. And, um, it, oh, it's been incredible. I've done over 70 shows each time interviewing a woman or two about these uh, topics of financial empowerment, creating true wealth. And nearly every guest gives some kind of, Action or practice that you can apply in your daily lives, and really a wide variety from uh, psychologists to purpose driven investors to financial planners and bookkeepers. There's really a whole movement happening uh, for a more empowered relationship with money, and so I really have a diverse. group of women and uh you can find that at money hyphen wise women on itunes and just uh the episode i'm releasing this week is a phd who's 30 years has been a um, psychologist and uh sally palian and she i asked her about this money myth and so if you want to get more information from a psychology perspective that is a great episode to listen to
1: Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you are a breaking money silence revolutionary, that you are talking about money in this new and meaningful way. And I encourage people to check out all the resources uh, that Crystal uh, Arnold offers on Money Morphosis. So thank you so much for your time and your expertise and your insights today. Thank you, Kathleen. Such a joy to both
2: be pioneers in this field and uplifting people's sense of money themselves and being able to create true wealth.
0: Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.